Miss Opal Lee is an American treasure. My first meeting with her was in Washington, D.C. at a Congressional Black Caucus event. And while at the caucus, I received an invitation to attend a luncheon in Miss Opal's honor. I was mesmerized by her energy, her focus, and her intelligence. Little was I nor anyone else attending the luncheon that day prepared for the candor and clarity of her experiences and her vision. She's a retired teacher who also has worked as a counselor, but we best know and love her as an activist in the movement to make Juneteenth a federally recognized holiday. Through her steady and hard work, she witnessed President Joe Biden sign Senate Bill S-475 that made Juneteenth the 11th federal holiday of the United States of America. It is my honor and blessing to have Miss Opal Lee, the grandmother of Juneteenth, present to share her journey, her vision, and herself with us now. Miss Opal, let's jump right into it. I know you got to eat because you just landed from D.C. It is a blessing to see you again and a privilege to speak with you today. You know, I'm excited to have you share your story with our family listening in. We call the audience who are listening to you our family. And guess what? They are 70% women, 30% men, and all of them are young people who can benefit from what you have to talk about. So at first, yes, ma'am, I want you to talk about your tireless efforts to make Juneteenth a national holiday. I mean, your efforts have been truly remarkable and inspiring. And I think I heard you say somewhere that you were 89 years old before you even started about working to make this happen. Will you share with us that journey that led you to become such an advocate for this important cause? Well, I'd have to go back a long way and tell you, at 89, I had four grown children. I'd gone to colleges and universities. I had taught school. I taught third grade so long, I was beginning to act like them. So they gave me another position. I became the visiting teacher to keep the kids in school, shoes, clothes, food, place to stay, that sort of thing. And when I retired, that followed me. And people still needed housing and food and clothes. And well, we started Opal's Farm. And that was because we had a food bank. Had a food bank, it burned. I was a part of that one. And there was this huge complex behind my house that was up for sale. And so I had nerve enough to ask for it. And those people leased it to us for $4,000 a month. Now I nearly had a hemorrhage. Where are we gonna get any $4,000? But we paid it for 11 months. And the month we didn't have it, they came to us and says, you seem to be doing a good job in this neighborhood because we've heard you're feeling feeding 500 families a day. And so they gave us that $1.3 million 
facility. Oh, we would. Well, I polled people standing in line, and 66 of them said they didn't mind farming. And so we chose to work with the people who'd been incarcerated and couldn't find jobs. And Tarleton State was willing to give them accreditation. And the time they served will not be time lost. But if you've been in a penal system in Texas, you've been on a farm. So here I am, 89 years old, thinking that there's got to be something else I should be doing. And I thought about Dr. Ronald Myers, who's a medical doctor, a minister, and a jazz musician all rolled into one. And Doc was adamant about Juneteenth becoming a national holiday. So I guess a little of it rubbed off on me because I decided if a little old lady in tennis shoes was walking from Fort Worth to Washington, D.C., 1,400 miles, somebody would take notice. And they did. We began the walk September 2016, and we actually got to Washington, 20, let's see, January 2017. We had asked President Obama to walk with us from the Frederick Douglass House to the Capitol, but he was in Chicago. I didn't get what I wanted, but P. Diddy helped us get a million 500,000 signatures that we took, took to Congress. And we were ready to get that many more when we got a call. My granddaughter got a call to go to the White House and see the president sign Juneteenth into law. Oh, girl, I was so happy. I could have done a holy dance, but the kids say when I try, I'm twerking, so they did. <laughs> well, a lot of people did a holy dance when it was enacted into All law. Right. I got to tell you that. All right. So, Miss Opal, yeah, take the bite of rice while I ask you this. Okay, take your bite of rice if you want to while I ask you this. When you were 12 years old, a group of hundreds of white people in Fort Worth burned your family's home to the ground. Now, you've said in other interviews that your parents never once discussed that terrible experience with you. If you had to guess what your parents were feeling about that experience, what do you think you'd say in terms of how that night impacted your mother and father? I know that it was devastating. I know it was. But do you know, they worked like Trojans and bought another home. And that's where I finished high school um, at 16 on Terrell Avenue, 926 East Terrell. They didn't give up. And so I think maybe some of the 
perseverance that I have is because of that experience. They did well, me. you know. It, it, it was just something, and it was happening to neighbors all around us. There were neighbors who stayed up nights with guns. And some minister in this neighborhood where I live shot out and hit one of them's car, scattered them, you know? It finally died down and they began to accept the fact that we were going to live next door. Well, you know, Ms. Sopa, there are a lot of young people today who have so much access to information, but they don't often connect beyond their own inner circles. You're a leading voice in the fight against racial injustice. What advice can you give to these young people or any people uh, and communities who want to create lasting change and promote the equality you've worked so hard for? I'd suggest to them that they make themselves a committee of one. We can't depend on the government and the city and the somebody else, but make yourself a committee of one to change somebody's mind. We know people who aren't on the same page. We all change their minds. Now, it's going to take some doing because it's not going to happen in a day. Going to have to work in it, work at it. And if people can be taught to hate, they can be taught to love. And I think that's our responsibility. Wow. Wow. Well, on October 7th, you're going to be celebrating your 97th birthday. What a gift you've been and continue to be to our world. How are you feeling? And do you have any health or beauty tips for us you want to share? <laughs> I tell you what, I'm going to say it. I've got, don't tell them, but I call them handlers. They get my nails done. They get my hair fixed. They pick out my clothes. I told them, I think you all think I'm a black Barbie doll. I'm an old woman. <laughs> I'd like to do some of that for myself, but I'm purring like a kitten, you know, enjoying it. I really am. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Um, and you know what? I know they enjoy it, too. They love you. Just seeing the glow on their face when you're talking and sharing and teaching, it's worth millions. Um, you know, your determination to walk from Fort Worth, Texas to Washington, D.C. to raise awareness for Juneteenth is remarkable. Share with us a little bit about what that walk was like. It was fantastic in that Everybody was so nice to me. Oh, you need to know that I, I started out from my church walking two and a half miles. And that was to symbolize that the enslaved in Galveston, 250,000 of them, didn't know they were free for two and a half years after that Emancipation Proclamation. So, I decided to walk this 1,400 miles, and 
I left my church and proceeded to walk the 2.5 miles. And the next day I got up and started where I left off, which means I walked through Fort Worth, Arlington, Grand Prairie, Dallas, Box Springs, Chopper. When my team said, you won't be doing it like that because somebody had offered us an RV so I could rest, wouldn't have to go back home. But they decided what I was doing was too political and they kept their old RV. But I never missed a beat. I was in Shreveport. Somebody there carried me to Texarkana. Somebody there carried me to Fort Smith. Somebody there carried me. I was, I was all over St. Louis, uh, Colorado Springs, Denver. I was in Atlanta. If I tell you, I was all over the place. So if I left September, September 2016, I actually got to Washington, January 2017. And I told you already that I expected um, President Obama to walk with me, but it didn't happen. But did I tell you, P. Diddy helped me get a million five hundred thousand signatures. And we took those to Congress. And we were ready to take that many more when we got the call to the White House. Oh, I was humble. I was overjoyed. I didn't know what to expect. And even now, I pinch myself to see if it really happened. And it did. I watched the President of the United States sign Juneteenth into law, federal law. Oh, how glad I was. And how, how thankful glad. I was. I was so thankful that all the people who had participated all these years, because we've been trying over 40 years to get that done. And Dr. Myers, did I mention him? Dr. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. You said he had that idea and you caught fire with it. Yes. So let me ask you this. Miss Oval, let me ask you this. Why is it essential for all Americans or people across the world, really, regardless of background, to understand and commemorate along with us Juneteenth? Why is it essential? They simply are still thinking that it's a Texas thing, and it's not, and it's not a Black thing. Freedom is for everybody. And if I could get that over to them, and we're not free yet. We've got the joblessness and homelessness and health care that some people can get and others can't. And climate change that's our own fault. And if we don't do something about it, 
We're all going to hell in a handbasket. So, our Bible tells us that we are our brother's keeper. So we have to look out for each other. We have to do what we can. And my grandparents and my mother, they were starch believers in helping others. My grandfather would bring somebody to my grandmother and they had 19 children, three sets of twins. And he'd bring somebody else to her and say, Madsy, find him a place, give him some food, put some clothes on his back. He'd do that. And when my mom married and moved to Marshall, do you know he'd send somebody up there to her and tell her, look after them till they can get on their feet? So I guess it's in my DNA. I just got to help. I do. Miss mm -hmm. Sobel, you've dedicated a significant part of your life to education, and you've worked as a teacher for decades, as we just talked about. Mm -hmm. How do you see education playing a role in empowering communities and promoting social justice? There's a lot of attention across the United States right now about budgets, about how we teach history. What's your perspective truly on how education will work to promote social justice now? Well, I want people to know our history, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because when we were freed, we hadn't been able to learn to read and write or have an education of any kind. And so that was paramount. When we were freed, schools were started for us. And we learned how important it was to build for ourselves, to have land, to have jobs, and start businesses. We had to do that all at once, you know? And so I feel now that we have amenities that we should take advantage. Oh, I hope parents insist that their children go and learn because this next generation is going to be the ones to get us out of the quagmire we're in. It's gonna be left up to them. And we need to educate them. I could say it all day long, educate, 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 because it's so vital. And I think the youngsters, if they listen to their grandparents, their great-grandparents, know what happened actually, because in these days they're taking books out of the schools. That's ridiculous. Or people don't know where they're going if they don't know where they came from. And the youngsters don't need to repeat what has gone on before. So I'm one of those old ladies that talk about education every chance I get. Mm -hmm. 
Well, Miss O, for your resilience and your unwavering commitment to the cause of social justice continues to be remarkable. How are you maintaining that positive mindset and how are you staying focused in the face of adversity? You. There's a God up there that I pray to. And he's seen me through some awfully rough spots. And I believe he'll do that for everybody else. And so I say, pray, pray. Realize, even if you are having a rough time, that it's not going to last always. That we must remember what we've come through could not, and where we're going could not be nearly as hard. And we have to think in those terms that we are going to arrive. And it amuses me that people came, seem to get past how black I am. I don't know why that bothers them. Because their whiteness doesn't bother me. And we've got so much that we could share. So much to right the wrongs and become the greatest country in the world. Miss mm -hmm. Opal, under your guidance, Juneteenth has gained significant recognition and support, leading to recognition, as we just talked about, of becoming a federal holiday in 2021 when President Biden signed it into law. What do you hope this newfound attention will achieve in terms of advancing racial equality and fostering dialogue about our nation's history that you just spoke to? Well, I don't know how to say it. I'm hoping that Juneteenth will be a beacon, that people will understand what freedom really means. And I've said already, that we're not free yet when we have the disparities that we've just got to get rid of. And it's gonna take all of us, blacks, whites, Indians, Asians, everybody's going to have to be a part of this to make it work. We can't exclude anyone. And so I just keep thinking and I hope it happens in my lifetime that we actually get it together. I'm looking forward to it. Mm. Well, Juneteenth is now part of a broader movement for racial justice in America. How do you envision our society evolving in the years to come when you're not here, nor am I? How do you think we're going to look? And how do you think... How do you think Juneteenth supported that? I think that the housing patterns are going to get much better. The jobs 
for blacks and Asians, well, Asians uh, are not on that par. Jobs for blacks and Indians and those migrating from other countries, those are going to be some tech jobs that are going to require skills that are going to pay enough for a family to have their own home, their own car, their own ability to send their children to college. All these things are going to happen for, I'm hoping, 90% of our population. I wouldn't say 100% because I know better. But our being together and learning from each other is going to be the key to our being the dominant nation in the world. That's a big statement right there. And it's one that allows me to not only thank you for this conversation, but invite you now to play my little game I call four for four. Okay. So Ms. Sobel, I'm going to ask you four questions and you give me four answers to each of those questions. I'm the teacher now and you're the student. Ooh. All right. Yes. Miss Opalee, my first question is, you get to invite four people to dinner from any time in history to present. Who's at your table? Ooh. Oh no. Ooh. I'm gonna I'm gonna invite Obama. Okay. I'm gonna invite Martin King. Okay. I'm going to invite Sojourner Truth. All right. And I'm going to invite Edelman. What is her first name? Uh, Edelman. Oh, she's done so much. Right, Edelman. Right, Edelman. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and why are you inviting them to the table? Because they've got some wisdom that I hope they'll impart, that they'll be able to tell me about and I can share it with some others. Is that okay? That's absolutely okay. You're talking about Marion Wright Edelman, correct? Yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, well, that will be wonderful because she was an activist like yourself. And I she think Oh, she's so much about children. And I need some of that wisdom. Well, I'm sure that you have it, Miss Miss Opal, but thank you. Let's go two for four, okay? Miss Opal, what four pieces of music are you listening to these days and oh. why? By the way, your nails look fantastic. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, gee. I don't know that I'm going to be able to answer that because music is a love. I can't carry a tune in a bucket, but I love music. And Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. I think that is, that's a song that carried slaves through, and they used it to, 
to get people from one place to another. Swing low, sweet chariot. And yeah, a lot of a lot of young people listening right now won't know that tune. Can you sing a little bit of it to help oh, them know? Girl, I can't sing. Swing low, sweet chariot. Take me to take me home. Swing low, sweet chariot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can't sing. Yeah, they say, I looked over Jordan. And what did I see? I'm in for To carry me home. Come Coming for to carry me home. I can't remember. Back in slave days, when you weren't allowed to talk with each other or read mm -hmm. or write, songs were the form of communication, and yeah. they carried code a lot of times. That band of yeah. angels and, and, and looking over Jordan were messages to people about which route they take and who'd be there to help them along the way. Wasn't it Miss wasn't it Opal? Yes, love. Yes, yes, yes. And mm. another one. Let's see. Music. I, I love the music. I can't think of the songs, but um, Cab Calloway used to do something called Heidi Ho. You remember that? I don't remember it, but I've heard about it through history. Heidi, hi, hi. Yeah, yeah. I like that too. I did. I don't know. And who is this child? Oh, I can just see all kind of people who sing. Um, Mahalia Jackson. Oh, she could sing beautifully. Any favorite one? Any favorite one that she sang? I'm trying to remember because they were all so good. Mahalia Jackson. Mm, mm. And who else? Who else? You got one more. You're doing all right, you know, on your on this game. You know you're winning this game. Oh no, I don't. No, I don't. Uh, music's not my forte. Oh. Um and then my mother used to love Mahalia Jackson singing How I Got Over. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. uh, God, oh, I can't even get a tune to it, but I love it. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, let's see, somebody else. And I know music. Oh. What about Dorsey when he lost his wife? What Tommy Dorsey? Yeah. What? No, not Tommy Dorsey. Uh, this was. Oh, oh, I know who you're talking about. What was that song? Oh, it was beautiful. He was composed. His name was Thomas Dorsey. He he composed a lot of beautiful music. I'm thinking of the one. Which one is it? 
I know it'll come to you. I know it'll come to you. He was the father of gospel music. Yes, which one are they telling you the best? He he was the he was the uh, a father of gospel music. I'm I'm trying to think of which song it was, but he but he's a good one. He's a really good one. Oh yes. Did you think of the one you like? Well, I've got the one in mind. But I think the one you're thinking about is "Take My Hand, Precious Lord." Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Take my hand, precious Lord. Yes. Uh-huh. Lord, lead me on. Precious Lord, lead me on. Uh -huh. Through the storm, through the night, lead yeah. me on. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. I'll listen along with you. Let's go three for four. What four books do you recommend that our family read and why? <laughs> I've just reread. A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Oh. And oh. I read it years ago. But the, I don't know whether I'm going to say tenacity that that young lady exhibited and the family structure and how much she loved her father even if he was not doing the things that he should as a father and a husband. And her ability to go to school where she wanted to, even if she had to give an address that wasn't her own. Oh, the girl had things going for her. I really enjoyed that book. And another book. And I like to read. And of course, you are asking me about books. And I can't think of a thing. Let's see. I bought a couple of books today. And don't even mm -hmm. remember the name of the cotton picking books I, I bought. Um, oh, we. I know one book that you recommended to us when we were at the Congressional Black Caucus, you told us we were all looking so pretty. You were glad for us to be there at that lunch to celebrate you. And you recommended the Bible to us. That That's one that we can read it over and over. <laughs> that very well. <laughs> I am ashamed of myself. Please and don't I, be. And I got acres of books. I've got acres of books. And I'll run and get one that I'm reading now. Let's see. I just finished some slave stories. Mm -hmm. I don't know the name of the book, but I remember how a child was given to a mistress, you know, and how close these people had to be. In fact, when the woman took her to the store, she put a collar around her neck 
and and led her around like she was an animal. Oh. I, I, I read about how there was a mistress of a house and one of the slaves was called Big George. Mm. When the master was away, the mistress would call Big George up to her bedroom. Uh, she said she wanted him to move some furniture around. And the girl who was telling the story says she never ever saw any furniture that was moved. And George, oh, she never even could think of what could actually be going on. And the mistress of the house would be, oh, so upbeat after these sessions that she had with Big George. That's one I've read. Don't ask me what the name of it is. Well, what? I will ask, but I'll let you provide it to me later because I'm going to read it for myself. Okay. And I can, and it's just in the next room. Okay. Another book, another book, another book, another book. Well, I read Gone with the Wind years ago. Mm -hmm. I did that, and I've read so many books not to be able to tell you four of them. So if, you, if you've included the Bible as one, you've given us four, so you're still winning. Okay, I will give you the Bible, and I'll give you the new revised version that we're using these days, okay? That's Perfect, Miss Opal. You now you now let's see if you can make it to a hundred. This is your last one. We're going four for four. Okay. What are the four best pieces of advice you can offer our family today? And if it's advice somebody else gave up gave to you, tell us who it was. Advice mm -hmm. that family comes first under all circumstances. Oh. I think family comes first, and of course there's the church and your religion and your thinking of God. You must have something to hold on to. And get an education. For heaven's sakes, get an education. And I don't mean everybody has to go to college, but get an education so you can support yourself, so you can support a wife. Do you know I have a great-grandchild that just finished Harvard, and his major was physics, and we went up to his graduation. He's a chess master. He loves chess. I think he's going to Japan this summer, but we're so proud of that child. And he's not the only one. There's a, a granddaughter who finished Harvard this year too, but education is so important, so important. The ability to love your neighbor and help your neighbor whenever you can. 
because people are going to help you. And I got that from my grandfather. I want you to know, even though he and my grandmother had 19 children, they raised another child, my aunt, the oldest girl, who had a boy, three or four years old. She was in St. Louis, and she felt like it was not a decent place to raise a child, and she sent that child back to Arkansas to my grandparents. So they actually raised 20 children because he didn't get back to St. Louis till he was 14 or 15 years old. Hmm. So piece of advice, Miss Oprah, what's your last piece of advice? I've committed to being thorough with you and allowing you to complete. So we've got one minute for you to give us the last piece of advice. That it is imperative that we join forces and become one nation, get rid of the division, because we, in my estimation, are the best nation in the world, but we got ways that we can improve. And I hope I live to see the improvement. Is that enough? Oh, my goodness, Miss Topo. Is that enough? That is a harvest. Thank you so much. God bless you. You've got another interview waiting for you right now. So I'm so glad we had this opportunity to talk. Stay well, and I look forward to seeing you soon. All right. Wish you could come and walk with us at 2.5 miles that we're going to do on the 19th. We're still doing that, you know, walking, symbolizing that the enslaved in Galveston didn't get free for two and a half years after the emancipation. Mm. Well, thank you from my heart to your home. God bless. Thank you, love. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you.